Alright, welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast of TheMediaByUs.com. Um, joining me today are Brent. Hello. And TJ. Hello. So we're going to talk about uh, what we've been watching, our kind of watch list playlist, before getting into some reactions to the Oscar nominations. Our last podcast, hope you listened to it, we kind of went into predicting it, and we posted it after the Oscar nominations came out, so that's... A fun little, you you can be smarter than us because we were wrong on some stuff. And I think David <laughs> took it down, right? You, I did. Yeah, beat me by two nominations. Yeah, we both did pretty good. TJ was at seventy nine percent, and I was at eighty one percent, which is uh, pretty good overall, considering some experts, you know, went to like sixty percent. Wow, right? That's that's awesome, guys. Yeah, all that uh, all that time paid off. <laughs> did it though? <laughs> Absolutely not. So after uh, we talk about uh, Oscars, we're going to get into uh, football. Super Bowl week. It's Super Bowl week, and we're uh, we're a locally sourced podcast from Atlanta, so we're pretty excited that the Falcons are in the Super Bowl. Cacao. Oh, yeah. And uh, wanted to talk some uh, football movies. So uh, we'll start off with our uh, watch list and playlist. TJ, you want to go first? Sure. I watched uh, four things since we last spoke. Three Oscar-nominated things first. I watched the two documentaries that are available streaming now. I think there's, there's more than two, but I watched The 13th, which is the Netflix documentary on the prison complex, the 13th Amendment. It was it was fine. I think I gave it uh, three and a half stars on, on Letterboxd. And here, here it's very it's kind of like a uh, video essay rather than kind of telling a story. Yeah, there's not a lot of new info there. It's just kind of pointing out stuff um, that I, I'm scared to say most people know it. But you know what I mean? Like yeah. I knew it because I read a lot about that stuff. So it wasn't as interesting to me as it probably would be to somebody who it, just didn't yeah, know anything. Instead of me talking about it later because I also watched it this week. Uh, I'll just join in now. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought it was a lot of style over substance in areas. Have you seen it, Dave? I did not see it. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's it's about an important issue that I think everyone should be aware of. But if you're already aware of it, like you were saying, it's not really a great documentary. I don't right. think. It's not a necessary doc to watch if you're aware of those issues. It's good for people who don't know anything about the issue of mass incarceration and the prison industrial complex. If you're browsing on Netflix, it's a good place for them to release it. Netflix, I think, is a good yes venue for it. I would agree. But as far as, I don't know, as far as what I would look for in an Oscar-nominated documentary, it was just not quite there. Yeah, I felt it lost focus at times. Yes. The other one I watched was also a documentary uh, nomination, and it was Life Animated, which Chris, who's not here this week, liked a lot, and I loved it too. Probably not as high-ranking as some stuff... Some documentaries would be that have been Oscar nominated in the past, but the story is fantastic. Yeah, I, I saw it too, and uh, it definitely kind of pretty. A lot of it's pretty affecting. Yeah, and I love the uh, the hand drawn animation and the animation of his uh, story, the protector of the sidekicks. Yeah, it's really it's cool. Just, it's pretty pretty heartwarming. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, the protector of the sidekicks thing is particularly like get you good and teared up because. He like finds this drawing he made, and it's like him with Iago and like Timon and a bunch of like Disney sidekicks. And he's like, "This is my life. I'm a sidekick. I'm going to protect all the sidekicks." Yeah, he doesn't it's feel like a little autistic kid. Just, oh, wow. He gets he, picked on at school. He says he doesn't feel like a hero. He relates to the sidekicks. He wants to be the protector of the sidekicks. <laughs> it's adorable, but yeah, it's, it's it's really good. Definitely recommend that. And then I watched uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, which was. Fantastic. Totally deserving of its visual effects nomination, by the way. Absolutely. I saw it, too. And it, it, was, was, it was incredible. Seamless stop motion. I mean, it was so good. All the, the stuff with the paper was just fantastically done. It was, it was just, like, it was marvelous and enchanting and charming. and Everything just, you want an animated movie, pretty yeah. much. You forget that it's stop motion after a while. Like, yeah. You know, sometimes, like, like a studios, like the box trolls and whatnot, you're just like, oh, this is great. This is stop motion animation. It just, you know, becomes a story after a while. Look, you know, feels like CGI, but just a ton of work. Hundreds of thousands of I still photographs go into making that. Cannot fathom how much time that took. Yeah. And Chris, I mean, is- you know, Chris last week was a big advocate for that movie. And he was talking about the, uh, the skeleton as the largest animatronic or largest stop motion figure in the history of cinema. And that, that aspect is really 
impressive. Really impressive in that movie. That sequence. Um, so yeah, I watched those three, and then this morning I got off of good movies, and uh, last week I had watched Inferno, which I gave two stars. This morning I watched Angels and Demons. Just slightly better, but not much. Which is sad, because it's by far my favorite Robert Langdon book. Had, had you read Inferno? Yeah, I've read all the Robert Langdon and, yeah. and, and watched all of them now. Uh, except for... Oh, no, I did watch Inferno. That's right. I just said that. <laughs> like, except for not the, the most memorable but they're movie. Not, I don't know why they skipped the one set in DC. Um, the, the Lost, the lost Symbol. Because it was a really fun book, I thought. But, right. yeah, it was Angels and Demons. I've seen it before. It was meh. But that's all I watched this week. Oh, I restarted. So, I always uh, like to find some show that I've seen before, some like sitcom that's on Netflix, and just have it on while I'm doing anything. I just carry my tablet around the house with me while I'm like washing dishes or folding laundry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I restarted uh, How I Met Your Mother for my second run through. That yeah. show is just so adorable and fantastic. I love all the characters. Me and Brent were talking how it's got one of the best pilots for a sitcom ever with the ending of That's How I Met Your Aunt Robin. is such a good like twist on that first episode. Yeah. Especially knowing that I've seen the whole thing now. And I love the ending. I know it got a lot of backlash. I thought the ending was great. Yeah, I, I had been uh, watching that show while it was going on for a lot of the seasons mm-hmm. and kind of fell off and heard bad, bad things about the last season. Yeah. Um, my wife and I, Allison, <laughs> uh, recently, you know, we love having a Netflix show to kind of go to bed to, to play while, yeah. while we're mm-hmm. in bed. <laughs> and uh, we went through the entire run of How I Met Your Mother, and we eventually got to the part where I I left off, and I just thought it was I thought it was really good. I really appreciate it. it. It's really true to the premise and the tone. It didn't really betray anything the last season, and you know what all the characters ended up doing. Right, and I know that people hated the last the, the finale especially. And if you're getting close to the end of How I Met Your Mother, you can stop listen stop listening for a minute. But uh, the whole show was about Ted and Robin. Like, that's what, especially going through the, the rewatch, it's like, oh, it's all about Ted and Robin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the end, it kind of made sense to me. You know what I mean? That I was, thought it was a, yeah, it's a pretty perfect ending for that show. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people hated the ending, and that's why they didn't like the last season. I, I, I certainly liked the ending and the last season, but uh, my only issue with the last season is that it, it, it took the same approach as the Netflix season of Arrested Development in that... It, I, I thought it got a little tiring, the focusing on the same event for so many episodes. The, True. The Barney and uh, Robin wedding. Yeah. You kind of miss McLaren's, miss New York. New York's yeah. a very big character in that show. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the you know the variety of, of uh, settings and topics from week to week was, was good. In that last season, it was just, it's an interesting concept for a season, but it, it just, I don't know. But anyway, if you're into sitcoms or rom-coms or any of that, it's a fantastic watch. It goes by quick. Characters are uh, very endearing. It's also super like visually inventive for uh, like a laugh track sitcom. Everything it plays with with time, and seeing uh, you know the the cuts to different you know the story from different points of view, and you know recontextualizing this conversation coming back to it. You know that's kind of stuff that you didn't really see in. You know, laugh track, no. single cam sitcoms before that. All right. the, the call forwards and callbacks. And I mean, shit. I think the big yeah. one is like yeah. season one. They talk about his thirtieth birthday. Is it the one with the goat? With the goat in the bathroom. The That's yeah. like season four yeah. when they get to that, which is just fantastic. And then there's yeah. tons of little stuff you find that it's, I'm finding uh, in the rewatch. It's like the lost of uh, sitcoms right. in, in that respect. Yeah. So anyway, that, that's that's what I watched. I'll also throw out Arrested Development also, again, in that respect, is, is similar in, in call uh, call forwards and callbacks, too. It's, you said in like your third rewatch, you're still catching stuff, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, just all the Buster Hand references in Season 1 are just phenomenal, because you you have to have finished Season 2 to get them all, which is insane. To nice. get all the jokes from Season 1, you have to have seen Season 2 and 3. I absolutely um, love that show. Every couple of years, I would want I like to rewatch the entire run. I even don't mind the Netflix season. You know, understood that the you know the constraints they're under for like those guys are all movie stars now. I think the first couple episodes are rough, but the later ones, especially the the Job centric and the Buster centric ones, are you know I think they're along with the rest of the show. Nice. And I like the interplay between stuff they pay off in the rest of the show with the fourth season, and I just like having more Arrested Development. Yeah. You know, I've always said it's a good season of a TV show. It's just, 
it just suffers being compared to the rest of Arrested Development, which is just, you know, three of the best seasons of any TV show ever. I would put them up there. Absolutely. Well. So you playing anything, TJ? Hearthstone. <laughs> still yep. hearthen. Still hearthen. Still hearthen after all these years. Always and forever. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Well, as for what I've been playing, I did finally track down the horn of Jurgen Windcaller. <laughs> that was a cliffhanger last yeah, uh, yeah. last episode of Talkie Talk. I did track it down. It was uh, it was a, it was a lady in Riverwood who uh, had stolen it, and she recruited me to help kill dragons with her. So, you know, that's what I'm up to in the in the world of Skyrim, <laughs> a game that was released six years ago. <laughs> Tune in next week for further exploits. <laughs> What's your character's name? Uh, I don't know. I, I forget. Okay. Brent. No, it's not Brent. I decided to do something different this time, and I don't remember what it is. Brent. I, I kind of get a kick. Uh, after doing a Skyrim, like a, a replay through is when I downloaded Waze on my phone. So, you know, you can change your name and have a profile on Waze. Right. So my name on Waze is uh, Dovakin. <laughs> <laughs> which is the uh, uh, I forget in Skyrim but it's like someone who's a dragon talker so it'll say hey Dovakin there's traffic ahead I just realized I laughed at that joke and had no idea why I was laughing like, Dovakin's funny the funny name as for what I've been watching uh, since the last podcast I've, I watched boy this was an undertaking it took me several nights to get through uh, but it, it, it's weird uh, Cloud Atlas have you seen Cloud Atlas I have not I have it's, I think my I think my short review on Letterboxd was not entirely sure what the hell I just watched, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> like, I enjoyed watching it. I don't know that I liked it that much. I just know that it was entertaining. It's, it's weird. And I, I read it and, and almost felt the same way about the book. Oh, wow. Which you know, the, the first 30, 40 minutes of the movie are just kind of a mess. I mean, it's just all over the place, and I was not really engaged and it's one of those movies where I kind of you reach for the tablet and you just maybe read a little while you're watching it. But I, as I'm watching it, I just kept putting down the tablet and got more engaged with the movie as it went on. Uh, I thought the casting was, and I guess I had more basis because I read the book. But I thought this is, sounds really like sacrilege, but the casting of Tom Hanks was a little weird in all those roles. Well, yeah, I mean, because several of the roles, he's a really bad guy. He's like a gangster, and it's like, but not well, it's not, just, not like Road to Perdition kind of gangster. Not <laughs> redeeming gangster. Isn't it right. supposed to be like a slow evolution of his soul in in the in that part of the theme of the the movie where he begins as as uh, in the furthest back era of the I think there are six or seven different time periods in Cloud Atlas, and at the beginning he's just like a horrible murderer, and then he continues to be bad. And then he slowly gets better and better. And then in the most futuristic version, he's the hero. Yeah. And it's definitely know. interesting. It's a movie that, oddly, I may rewatch at some point just to, to see how I feel about it on a second watch. Anyway, it's it's a Wachowski Brothers movie, uh, which is, it's, I don't know, it's interesting. It's really yeah, interesting. They always do interesting stuff. I guess there's not really a boring Wachowskis. Even, you know, Speed Racer and stuff right. is, you know, far from boring. Pretty insane. I also watched uh, Dallas Buyers Club. That was a rewatch, uh, and I think that's a movie that it's it's almost it's easy to forget how good McConaughey is in that movie. I movie think, is fantastic. I, f- I feel you were you and I were talking about this. TJ made a good point, which was thinks that McConaughey's Oscar win was so preordained and so known before it happened that it kind of overshadowed the quality of the performance. That everybody just knew he was going to win and assumed he would win, so there wasn't really as much appreciation of the actual performance in the movie. And it's really good. It's one of my favorite performances ever. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I just know it in terms of the uh, you know being at the heart of the reconnaissance, right? And that kind of <laughs> now I think you you got a point there. That kind of took over the narrative for that. That and Jared Leto winning for being a transgender character, right? Mm-hmm. And them both winning everything, you know. I feel people weren't really, like, really talking about the movie itself during that time period. Well, they were looking forward to his acceptance speech, like, the whole time. Yeah. That was, like, a thing that season. And Leto was great in his role. I mean, really great, and he deserved the Oscar. Uh, but it was an easier role to be great in, I think, than McConaughey. I could see, you know, you see a lot of movies where the side character, where the, the, the co-star gets an, 
almost an easy path to an Oscar nomination because it's just such a uh, you're not on screen a lot. It's a meaty role. It's you know it's true. Uh, something like that. Whereas you see the lead actor or actress just sort of coast through because it's not as easy to build a just a powerhouse performance uh, with a leading role. And I thought McConaughey definitely did that. It was it was one of my favorite. I might like it better than any of the decade so far. It might be my favorite best actor performance. It's definitely in the in the conversation for sure. Uh, since Dallas Buyers Club, I watched. Let's see, I watched Thirteenth. I watched. I went to see Hidden Figures, which was uh, oh, nice. Which was good. It was good. Um, very enjoyable. Uh, crowd pleaser of a movie. That's what it uh, seems like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's a strong contender for best picture. Uh, I haven't seen many, but it's it's not up there with Manchester, which I've seen. But it's a it's a good movie. Fun. Yeah, everybody should see it. Cool. I did. I did. Uh, this is a, an odd thing I noticed was that and it didn't surprise me, but you know, it's a movie about people behind the scenes who did not get their due uh, in the in the time period, and then sadly, as soon as the credits started rolling, everybody got up and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> Like, <laughs> <laughs> not really taking the movie to heart. Not, yeah. It's like, space is fun. People should get credit. Well, <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> maybe maybe in 30 years they'll make a Hidden Figures about the hidden figures of the film Hidden Figures. Hidden hidden Figures figures? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how to nest that. <laughs> uh, and then I watched... Uh, oh, I rewatched uh, Watchmen. Who watches The Watchmen? Yeah. Brent does. Yeah. Brent does. <laughs> Always good. Love that movie. First 20 minutes are love some that. of my favorite intro. Yeah, the yeah. intro credit sequence has got to be the best that I can recall right now. And then, of course, I did also watch one other movie art, but we'll talk about that later. Right. Our, our homework assignment. Our homework assignment. assignment. Somebody, yep. somebody's, somebody's <laughs> off to a bad start this year. Our homework assignment. The semester's going to be rough. I was, I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, as far as what I've been watching... Um, you know, Oscar nominations came out. I'm obsessed with the Oscars. So it was kind of Oscar heavy on uh, what I'm watching. Like uh, TJ, I watched Life Animated. Like TJ, I watched Kubo. Um, liked both of those. Loved Kubo even more. I caught up with uh, two other movies. One was uh, a f- I saw Hell or High Water. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was pretty good. It was, I'm, uh, I thought it was really interesting that it got into best original screenplay. Because the best thing in the movie, I think, is the performance and kind of just the overall execution and the polishing machine on it. Yeah. I feel like it's not anything we haven't seen before. That's true. Even, like, the thing that's relevant today, like, the distrust of financial institutions, like, way to go bank robbers, you know, the banks are the real bank robbers. You know, that's something that was present in Bonnie and Clyde in the 60s. You know, that same sentiment and, uh, you know, Butch and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right. Um, you know, maybe it's more relevant now because there's more financial distrust, but again, that's nothing new. Did but, you agree with Chris and I that the the storyline of the Marshalls was far better than the story of the Oh, Rose? yeah. Yeah. The, the heart of that movie is the, the friendship between, you know, crusty old GF Bridges and uh, the, the Marshall. Yeah. And his, uh, his, his lo- charming, prodding racism. Yeah. <laughs> Against him as a Native American and Hispanic sheriff guy. And it's like, what a layup for an Oscar nomination for Bridges, right? It's like, yeah. play this character that's essentially you plus racism. Yeah, to Brent's right. point, yeah. the supporting turn where you can really just coast there. Right. You know, Bridges is doing Rooster Cogburn Part 2. Right. <laughs> the Texas version. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was, uh, but in the end, it's like, you know, there's not that much new, but the uh, acting was really good. Oh, Foster was good. Foster was great as kind of a gleeful sociopath guy. Yeah. You know, kind of the a type you've seen before also in these kind of movies. You know, kind of like uh, Jeremy Renner in The Town, another yeah. bank robber guy. You got the guy who loves it just for the thrill of it, not doing it for his family. This is kind of like the, the town Texas version. A little bit. Yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah, Bridges is better than a John Hamm, though. Yes. Um, but in the end, you know, it's just, it's very well done. And yeah. the Texas scenery is just beautiful. Like, it deserves every nomination, probably doesn't deserve any win, is kind of how I feel yeah, about it. Yeah, that's right. And I love the, uh, um, my friend Al was, was telling us, one of his favorite parts was the, the, the sequence with the, um, 
with the the waitress in the, the diner. diner. So you know, funny. talking about uh, what don't you want? Yeah, it's like you know, everybody always gets T-boned. What don't you want? Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, she it, just she's just like I don't even know if she's an actress, but just you know, authentic Texas uh, culture you get there is really. Uh, I love the when filmmakers are specific with stuff. Right, it's when you really you know enjoy performances and and stuff like that where they really make choices. Um, Sweet tea. Yes, ma'am. That wasn't a question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just telling you what I'll bring you. Uh, and the other, other movie I saw was, uh, I ended up seeing Captain Fantastic. Oh, nice. It's, yeah. on my, it's, it's coming up soon for us. Yeah, Viggo Mortensen is nominated for Best Actor for it, and uh, it's it's well-deserved. It's it's uh, really, it's definitely an indie movie in that not a ton happens, and it's more about atmosphere and characters. You know, it's what I say. Characters sometimes live off in a distance while a song plays. But it's really good. The, the the story is you know it's a family living off the grid, and this is this is the very beginning of the movie. You know, mother is having uh, medical issues, That's and the dad's by, even, by yeah. himself out there, and it's kind of culture clashy. And uh, you know, the mother and father want them to live as philosopher kings. They all read books and you know hunt and you know fight each other. But it's really uh, it's really good. What was, I really enjoyed it. What was the movie that came out a few years ago? It was a lesbian couple. I think Mark Ruffalo ends up sleeping. Kids are all right. The kids are all right. It's I remember movie. watching that movie with my girlfriend and her being like, I didn't know this was like the perfect hippie family. And then we were watching the trailer for Captain Fantastic and I was like, if you didn't like that because of that, you're going <laughs> to hate this movie. It looks like... I'll do a mild spoiler. They celebrate instead of Christmas Noam Chomsky Day, <laughs> so maybe, that, maybe that's just an indication of where they're at. But it's really, it's really enjoyable. Again, you know what I harp on it. It's really specific and makes uh, makes choices with stuff. And you know the most amazing part is are the uh, kids in the movie. The kids are amazing in the movie. Enough. You don't think about them as kid actors. You know they're just actors, and mm-hmm. they're they deliver great performances, especially the oldest son in the movie. It's uh, it's really, really good. Child actors can take a movie to a, the next level for me. It's so easy for them to suck and break reality so hard. But when they're good, it makes a big difference. And his dad played by Langello, right? Yep, Frank Langello. I love Frank Langello. And the, you know, the the parents are kind of antagonists in that movie. Not mm-hmm. trying to get too much away, but they're kind of nuanced too. Um, you know, they're not just you know evil people who don't understand this wonderful way of life. They're they you can tell that they love the kids, they want the best for them, and they get their own tender moments. But they're not just you know blind antagonists, which is nice to have a kind of complicated but you know uh, portrayal of that there. Sure. Yeah. So that was uh, Captain Fantastic. You know, I, I kind of liked it. Um, and then as far as um, playing stuff. Continue to play uh, NES classic titles. Nice. I got stuck in Star Tropics, so I, I rage quit and started something else. I uh, played a little bit of Castlevania Two. I think Simon's Curse. I think is the oh, subtitle. Yeah. I love um, that game. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's uh, there's such a ramp of difficulty for for me. One of my favorite games of all time is Castlevania Symphony of the Night. It's oh, the yeah. PlayStation one where you're uh, Alucard, Dracula's son, of course. <laughs> But that game is so much easier than any of these NES games. I've died so much in these, you know, said, oh no, what a horrible night for a curse. And I was like, I'm going to die 12 <laughs> times now. I had a detailed notebook on Castlevania 2. Uh, Simon's Quest? Curse? Simon's, I think it's Simon's Quest. Simon's Quest, yeah. Uh, when when I was a child, I had like a yellow notepad just full of notes on, on that game. <laughs> because... Uh, it was the only Castlevania game I ever owned or played, and it was oh, wow. It was really, really great. I guess I should also go back. I forgot I left off a game because I was mention uh, yeah, because w- since we since we have it on the website and all, uh, I'm I started a series where I don't know how regular it's going to be, but I go and replay old NES games. Uh, I'm not that good at games, so <laughs> the title of the series is Eight Bit Halfwit. Uh, which I felt was appropriate for me. It's a great um, title. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I, uh, I started with alphabetically the first, so it was a numerical title. Uh, it was the first game released on release date. There were, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 games released the same day as the NES, and uh, this was just at the top of the list. It's called Ten Yard Fight. It's a football game that was a port from an arcade game from like the even earlier in the 80s, and... Uh, Anyway, check out the mediabias.com. I wrote a little short article on it. And, really uh, funny. 
Um, it's, it's incredible. The, yeah. the, uh, the game commentary so <laughs> just good. had me cracking up. This is a horrible name for a football game, too. Ten-yard fight. Ten-yard fight. And I I hate synchronized movement in games. I am terrible at, like, the <laughs> NES baseball games where you move the entire outfield. Oh, uh, right. You know, I play with my friend Brian. We used to play uh, Nintendo together, and he would destroy me, like, 16-0. to Because I kept moving the entire outfield and then moving them all the way back. And I guess synchronization's not my thing. I got so angry when I played the Super Bowl level and thinking that there's going to be some in-game moment. Like, if I win the Super Bowl, it's going, I don't know, like... I didn't expect confetti. That's a Madden invention. But I'm still not. I, I still wanted something, and instead, it gave it gives you the same message as uh, as if you beat the the simplest version of the game. It's just basically a keep on playing. Right, <laughs> you're almost there. <laughs> it was really frustrating, but it was uh, oddly there were elements of that game that were oddly way ahead of its time that you probably can't find in modern games. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, check that out. Sure. Closing up watch list playlist, mm-hmm. and I'll uh, go into kind of the the week's news as uh, <laughs> as as newscasters that we are. Go into kind of some reaction to the Oscars. You know, Oscars came out Tuesday morning, and kind of go through just some uh, takeaways. Um, you can look up all the nominations if you want; they're everywhere online. We'll kind of just go through some uh, takeaways. As far as a takeaway, La La Land had 14 nominations, tying it with the most of all time. I'm sure you've, uh, if you've seen anything with nominations, you've heard that fact. You know, tying Titanic and All About Eve, TJ and myself both called all 14. So we are very talented in that respect. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> so now it's kind of, now that uh, La La Land has dominated, you kind of figure it's either the storyline's going to be it's going to win everything. You know, the most awards any film's ever won is 11. You know, as it maxes out at 13 because it's got two in song. Either you think, is it going to win everything or what is it going to lose? And I kind of take the, you know, the first part is really fun if you love that movie. I don't love it. I like it a right. lot. Uh, the second part is kind of more interesting to me. So I was thinking what it could potentially lose out there. I don't think it has a shot at, at lead actor, really. I mean, it has a shot. Yeah, it seems like it's it's Affleck versus Washington for right. fences. I think Gosling is just sorry. Gosling is a distant third, and it's just hard to make up that much ground. I feel like. Yeah, that's true. No precursor awards or anything. I was yeah. wondering if there's a potential spoiler in uh, director. I know it's, it seems like a slam dunk, Damien Chazelle, and you know the uh, opening freeway sequence and everything. Maybe people could differentiate what's editing, what's cinematography versus direction, and trying to throw something a bone. You know, with it dominating, there's going to be a lot of movies that don't win a single thing that are going to still be good movies. And I wonder if there's a spoiler in Moonlight director Barry Jenkins. If he could potentially get that, and La La Land could get picture. It's possible. I actually thought about Moonlight upsetting because Manchester is starting to see it fall off a little bit now. There's a lot of stuff that came out about. Casey Affleck's old exploits settling out of court. Did y'all read about that at all? Yep. Yeah. Sexual harassment. And That's just sexual. Never good. I mean, ag- agree with it or not. I mean, don't not agree with this, uh, sexual harassment or not, but agree with the thoughts. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm the I'm under the school of like Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. What are we doing here? Are we are we judging his character or are we judging his performance in Manchester by the Sea? You know right. what I mean. He you could think, be an asshole and be a great actor. You think Pete Rose should be nominated for Manchester? I do. Pete Rose is really good as the son in Manchester by the Sea. But uh, anyway, so I, I can see Moonlight making a late push there too. Um, it's a lot easier to do if there's only one movie trying to chase down a front runner than if there are multiples, I feel like. Sure. So I can see Barry Jenkins for director. That's a good call. I like that. And also just to take away, um, it is really nice when you kind of get diversity reflected in the nominations. As someone who is uh, obsessed with Oscars, you know, in the last couple of years with the Oscar So White movement, it's kind of embarrassing to be so obsessed by something that is, you know, a cultural embarrassment like that. <laughs> right. So it's nice to see that, you know, there's actual diversity reflected in the, the, uh, the people nominated, both um, in front as actors and behind the scenes, and the types of movies. And, you know, you have some female-led movies nominated for Best Picture, which doesn't usually happen. Usually they're male-dominated movies. As well as, you know, uh, seven people of color nominated for acting. There's categories where there are more African-American nominees than 
the white nominees. Yep. In documentary, what we were talking about, um, some of those before, um, four of the five directors of those movies are all African-American. So that's, you know. Great. Always always like to see that. The, the biggest surprise. Have either one of y'all seen Arrival? No. No. Okay. So the biggest surprise to me was Amy Adams obviously got, obviously got left off of the best lead actress category. I thought she was the best part of that movie, which is surprising to me that it got nominated for so much else that it was supposed to. And and she's the thing that got left off. I could see her getting left off if it like got snubbed for Best Picture too. But the fact that it got all this other stuff, and I really thought she was like the glue in that movie. Hmm. It's kind of if you like the movie, how do you not like her? Because she's the central driving force of the movie. Right. Um, I I haven't seen it. I, I need to correct that. But I hear it's kind of a subtle performance, a little internal performance, which typically you know the acting awards go to the most acting, not the best acting. True. I was joking with TJ earlier this week. I said, well, you know, maybe there was just some Oscar fatigue of nominating Amy Adams so many times because this would have been, what, her fifth or sixth nomination, I think? I think sixth or maybe seventh. Wow. And and we joked that instead of Amy Adams, they decided to instead throw one to uh, the little recognized Meryl Streep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> little engine that could. Yeah, oh, that's true. Meryl Streep is number uh, 20 now, right? Yep. That's unreal. It's absurd. Yeah. The most all time in the non non like Walt Disney <laughs> division, right. non like uh, you know sound editors and whatnot. She's gotten nominated so many times. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, on the phone this past week, and he was like, "She gonna win again?" And I was like, "I don't know. She you know she doesn't hasn't really won that much." And he's like, "What? She's won like twelve. And I was like, "No, nah, she's won like was it three? Three? Yeah." And he just thought I was. She's been nominated so many times that the world is convinced that she has like 12 Oscars. Because <laughs> it's like five nominations equals a win or something. But it's funny. Yeah. I was, uh, I will say that after um, listening to you guys talk about the projected nominees on Monday, I think that was more, in, in, in my brain, I think that was more of the real nominees than the actual nominees wound up being. Because <laughs> uh, I went to, so correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Octavia Spencer was nominated she was yeah. for Hidden Figures, and you predicted one of you predicted that Janelle Monet. I did, yeah, would yeah. be nominated. When I went to see Hidden Figures, I was sitting there the entire movie wondering why Janelle Monet was nominated <laughs> over Octavia Spencer oh. because I'm, I was thinking Octavia Spencer is the best thing in this movie. She's fantastic, right? And uh, and and I was like, yeah, Janelle Monet's good. She's fine in the film, but I just was sitting there thinking. I mean, really, her over. I, I I didn't get it, and then I found out I was just wrong. So, nice, yeah. <laughs> I I had incepted you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good for Oscar. Yeah, good for good for Oscar. Moving on to, moving on to. Are you ready for some football? Dun 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name? Cletus. Is that the name of the dumb fox robot? My it's always oh, in the corner. Cl- yeah, Cletus. <laughs> and my mom <laughs> loves that robot. <laughs> Why? He break dances. He, he has fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> He's a free spirit robot. He has fun with it. Uh, I've got a little quiz that might get us jump started real quick. Cool. Ooh. It's a filmographies quiz. Yeah. So we play a lot of a trivia in the group. Um, this is kind of a regular category that we we use, uh, where I'll give you three actors or actresses, and y'all are gonna name the film. They're all football movies where football plays a prominent role. Anyway, we'll say. Interesting caveat. David and Brent are notoriously really good at these, so this might last like 20 seconds. I've, I've tried to order them easiest to hardest. We'll see. This will be the only part of the podcast where David has to edit in more, like, longer sentences. Like, longer pause. <laughs> Instead of... Goes back in and edits it, like, hmm, let me think about that for a yeah, minute. I might just edit it when you ask the question and I interrupt you with the answer. <laughs> like, after the first syllable? Yep. <laughs> uh, Alright, so... Uh, we'll do the first one. I think it's the easiest. Donald Faison, Hayden, uh, how do you say her last name? Panettiere. Panettiere and Ryan Gosling. The, remember, remember the, the Titans. Remember the Titans, yeah. Hayden Panettiere plays the daughter. She's very little. Yep. We she's, are she's the good Titans. Mighty, mighty Titans. <laughs> uh, no, what about these trio of women here? Kelly Preston, Bonnie Hunt, and Regina King. Jerry, Jerry McGuire. McGuire. Jerry McGuire, yeah. Unison. Air five. <laughs> well done. <laughs> uh, what about John Favreau, Faison Love, and David Denman? The Replacements. The Replacements. Never seen it. Replacements is hilarious, man. Oh, <laughs> it's a good sports it's movie. It's so good. Uh, let's go with Dennis Leary, 
Frank Langella and Sean Combs. Oh, that's seems tougher. Is that uh, any given Sunday? No, I've never seen that. So I don't know. <laughs> huh? This this Frank to me sounds. This may be more of a football plays a role. It may not be a football movie. Puffy. TJ's got a poker face right now. He's so not Frank really Langella and Puffy and who else? Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary. Oh, is, is there one where he's like an agent? Or a, is it like a college? Is uh, it like, it's not like the ref or anything, is it? No, that's not football, is it? No, that's a, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dennis Leary is a ref, or in the movie with the it's like a, Wait, is that the one where he's a, is, there, is it like the ref in a marriage? Or it's, We're getting off track. <laughs> yeah, no, completely unrelated. <laughs> um, I, can, I know one of y'all have seen this. The blind side? No. Dennis, the Dennis Leary thing is throwing me. Is he a coach? Is it Frost Nixon? <laughs> I know Frank Langella is in Frost Nixon. Is it made? No. I'm trying to think of the... It's, it's a football movie. It's okay. a 100% football film. Dennis Leary is a coach, I think. Or Dennis Leary is a head coach. Sean Combs oh, is an agent. Draft day. Draft day. Yes! Sean Combs is the agent. Dennis Leary is the head coach. Yeah. Wow. Frank Langella is the owner. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. A surprisingly entertaining, wholly unrealistic, if you yeah. ridiculous movie. If you know football, but my goodness, that movie is entertaining. I, I loved it. I stayed yeah. away from it just because I heard the the worst things you could hear. Well, not the worst things you could hear, <laughs> but I heard bad stuff about it. But that'd be so. That'd be such a great topic for a movie. It's like uh, you know, behind the scenes on draft day, just you know, if they could make a money bot money ball right style movie about that. I just was thinking, what are the worst things you could hear about a football movie? It's like, well, I thought the crucifixion scene was handled poorly. It's like, ugh, I don't want to see draft day. All right, what about uh, Renee Zellweger, Stephen Root, and Jonathan Price? Hmm, is that Leatherheads? It is Leatherheads. Wow. Good job. I looked up some football movies, and I I was going to say, should I talk about... I kind of came up with a, a quick list of what would be my, my favorite ones. Nice. It's like, it definitely doesn't make it, but I have definitely seen it. <laughs> and that's about as much as I can say. Right. And uh, one more. LL Cool J, Woody Harrelson, and Wesley Snipes. LL Cool J, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson and Wesley. So, <laughs> white men can't, can't pass. Punt. <laughs> white men can't punt. It'd be a horror movie because it's literally it's all that white men can do. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh... Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes, and you said Dennis Leary again? <laughs> yeah, Frank Langella, Puff Daddy. And who was the third? Uh, LL Cool J. It's not heavy, any given Sunday, is it? No. I know LL Cool J is in that. Uh, hmm. Wesley Snipes is in the fan, but that's baseball. Yeah. Um, uh, the fourth, and, and maybe giveaway would be Goldie Hawn. Oh, Wildcats? Wildcats. Wow. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. LL Cool J is in They're all Wild on the team. Cats. Yeah, all three of them are on the team. Nice. But yeah, that's that's my little quiz. I got a little one if you guys wanted about uh, Box Office. Yeah. yeah. From the always uh, always estimable BoxOfficeMojo.com. Box Office. Box. <laughs> I love the Box Trolls. This is a great movie. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> in terms of uh, football movies and for the box office, it's kind of the lowest of all the other art forms besides maybe hockey in terms of how much they make because it's not really universal. You know, American football is good for America. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, wondering if you guys can uh, get the top five box office movies of football movies. So, this is pretty much movies about football, not where football plays a role. I think I know number one. I may not. I think it's. I think I know it because it's the. I think it's his top grossing movie. Oh, Go ahead. The longest yard. The longest yard is there. Yeah, the Adam Sandler version. Nice. Right. Is that number one? That is number three. Ooh. Oh, nice. So you got four left. Well, because it's star power and Oscar love, I would guess the Blind Side. Blind Side's number one. Nice. Oh wow. Okay. Good call. What uh, about what about Titans? You think is that way off? I don't know. It's. I mean, it's hard to guess because I mean, something could make this list with like I don't know, hundred and 
forty million dollars. John, how much money they made? Can you tell us that? We'll I know that the number five one, um, it's only seventy four million. Well, remember the Titans then. Remember the Titans is number four. Okay, I think yeah. it made right at ninety million, maybe nice. right at okay. hundred million. Um, so you still got uh, number two and uh, number five. Left. Well, would would Jerry Maguire make this list? No, it would, so, wouldn't yeah. be eligible. This, okay. this is really football movies. Okay, it's. I feel like that's as close to the line as you can get. You know, like it's yeah yeah yeah. It's on that side though, for right. sure. Right. Uh, we're forgetting something massive. You definitely are, and I can't remember um, what it would be. So I don't think it's gonna be any given Sunday. It's gotta be. It's probably not Little Giants. No, but it should be. Uh, any given Sunday could have made seventy-four million dollars. That would just surprise. I will me. let you know that is number five. Okay. Any given Sunday, you're missing the number two all time. Wouldn't be Rudy. Rudy? No. No way. This not movie is going to be the uh, the late nineties. I was gonna say if it made over a hundred million dollars, it's got to right. be. Right. And it's going to feature an actor that's in one of these movies already. It's in. Oh, the Water Boy. Yeah. Oh, nice. Of course. Adam Sandler, two football movies in the top five. Fun. Nice. Yeah, that's that's the top five. Blindside, Waterboy, Longest Yard, Remember the Titans, Any Given Sunday. <laughs> I almost did a Waterboy uh, in my filmographies with like Brent Musburger, <laughs> Patrick, <laughs> like all the uh, all the commentators. And then Feruza Balk. <laughs> Feruza Balk, yeah. Mix it up a little bit. I did not prepare a game. <laughs> so. Well, what do you want to do with your little segment? I don't know. I just was just gonna I just thought we'd talk about like uh, football movies yeah like what's your favorite uh, do you have a favorite football uh, like a quarterback do you have a favorite quarterback from a movie Shane Falco Shane Falco yeah uh, we're expanding this to all forms of media right so I'll, I'll take uh, uh, Matt Saracen as my quarterback oh, nice. on my team Saracen yeah QB1 also uh, Michael B. Jordan in the last couple seasons of Friday Night Lights I he's probably better what his name is he's got a great story but love Matt Saracen yeah I just realized the three of us are like Friday Night Lights fanatics we could have a Friday Night Lights pod yeah. <laughs> like just just that for years Texas forever <laughs> says three Atlanta guys such a good show <laughs> such a good show yeah QB1's a good choice yeah, replacements though. I, I kind of you know was trying to mentally come up with a list of my top five football movies all time. Yeah, I had replacements in there. It's, it's really good. One of those uh, like TBS cable winners. Anytime it's on, you know, it's so enjoyable. It is. I should watch it. He's got a great Keanu story, Reeves, man. Gene Hackman. Is, yeah. Uh, who she, plays the owner? Owner is um, who's the guy? He's the same guy who's in a bunch of Warren Beatty movies. You know, Heaven Can Wait, where Warren Beatty's a quarterback. He's the owner, too. Like, Jack Warden, I think. That's right. Is the guy? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, I looked it up. I thought it was funny. You know, they, they go back to, like, the 96 Sugar Bowl, where Shane Falco blew out his knee for Ohio State. I looked it up. There was not a Sugar Bowl that was played in 96. Like, it was in December 20, like nice. 9th, oh, 1995. Nice. The next one was, like... You know, 97, January 1st or something like that. I wonder if I'm sure they did that on purpose. That's fantastic. Yeah. They, they may not have cared that much. Right. But I also realized that movie, I kind of went back to some of these movies. How much is contingent on the uh, the the blind tight end, or not blind, the deaf tight end? <laughs> Played by David David Denman. Yeah. yeah, David Denman. You know, the football movies that I, that I love are all the underdogs, you know, the guys that can't win. They have something that makes them come together and they end up either winning or, you know, coming pretty close. Um, the, the, I almost said blind again, the, the deaf tight end, he initiates the fart, the fart, <laughs> the fight in the bar where they all kind of finally click. Oh, that's true. You know, they have the bar fight with the non-replacement players and they end up in jail and they dance together because of course. <laughs> So he kind of initiates movie, that. The movie doesn't take itself seriously. I think that's why I liked it so much. Yeah. But there's a horrible scene where the, the guards played by uh, Donald Faison. Yeah. They're, they're the two brothers that play well. They're two, like, bodyguard types. And they're like, we protect our quarterback. We're the guards. And, like, everybody, like, laughs at him because it's dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm, Oh, bodyguards. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, like, a the left tackle's like a sumo wrestler. It's just, it's that kind of movie. It's It's... It's real fun. 
It's real yeah, fun. it's really good. I like the kicker too. It's Reese Ephens. Yeah, he's the the Welsh gambling kicker that is always you know smoking he's, on the field. He's, and he's wiry. 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 <laughs> you know, a similar type of movie to that is uh, Necessary Roughness. You yeah. ever seen that? It's, okay. Kathy Ireland. Yes. And Sinbad. Sinbad and, Sinbad and, and uh, Scott Bakula. Quantum Leap. Yeah. yeah. Getting some Bakula. It's, it's really just an extended episode of Quantum Leap where he has to help <laughs> Texas State win the championship. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Texas I, State Armadillos? I think so. That's yeah. right. Fighting yeah. Armadillos? Uh, I love that movie when I was a kid. That was another one that used to come on TBS all the time. Uh, yeah, and I just would always watch it. And there's also a shower scene with Kathy Ireland. Eight-year-old TJ thought it was fantastic. That wasn't on TBS. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's, it, it would definitely would be now. It'd be on like PBS now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Very tame. When I was a kid, I think my favorite favorite football movie was The Little Giants. When I was a kid, I, Annexation yeah. of Puerto Rico. Yeah, love it. Icebox. But, yeah, yeah I, had a, I had a little crush on the icebox when I was, uh, I was... I did too, but it was the fridge, because I was a fat kid. <laughs> <laughs> Rim chat. Uh, is anybody in that movie that, like, propelled to... Isn't to is more? Devin oh. Sawa in that movie? I think, I think he may be the... If not, it's some other, like, teenage heartthrob from the time period. That, mm. uh, he was who, who is that? Quarterback, the little blonde-haired kid. Idle who hands. Idle hands. Yeah, it's, uh, that's him. Throws toilet paper yeah. in the... In the shopping cart. He just reminded me of this other football movie. Uh, it's like the field goal kicking trash collector from Philadelphia. It's good. It's uh, Tony oh. Danza. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. They, they see him at the beginning of the movie. How they recruit him to be the Eagles kicker is he gets real angry at the dump. And he starts kicking water jugs, like empty, you know, eight-gallon water jugs. Mm-hmm. But he lines up perfectly for each one in anger. <laughs> He's like, ah, and kicks it 70 yards. He like does the measured. He yeah, takes he three takes steps back, back and then to the two, side in like a perfect soccer side. kick. Yeah. It's like me, a field goal kicker. Yeah, like, what well, are yeah. field goals? <laughs> um, but yeah, that, uh, I don't know why. I don't remember anything else about that movie except that scene and its obnoxious title. I really liked uh, any given Sunday when it came out. You know, it came out in '99. I think it's kind of lesser Oliver Stone, but it's really like. You know, when I was younger, it was one of my first, like, in-your-face movies. You know, people tackling and, like, interspersed with, like, gladiators fighting. And it was kind of crazy. And yeah. I liked Willie Beeman. Steaming, steaming Beeman. Steaming Willie Beeman. Kicks the ladies. Craven. <laughs> <laughs> Such an inappropriate. <laughs> very. Very inappropriate. Lots of drugs in that movie. It's very, very... Uh, Lawrence Taylor? Yeah. Uh, actual, he's actually really good in it. Actual Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of envious that the guy has something to fall back on. Yeah, and it's 99 Lawrence Taylor, so he plays like the veteran struggling with, um, yeah. I guess, Oliver Stone had an in on, on CTE. Yeah, it's, it's kind of ahead of its time like, for yeah. a lot of the stuff, like, you know, PED use is in there, um, unscrupulous doctors, you know, clearing people, people getting concussions. And I think in, in hindsight, kind of looking into it, I think the uh, Cameron Diaz is really good as the owner. Yeah, uh, Christina Pagniacci. Yeah, great name. She's kind of. I think she's right with what she wants to do. Just, just to refresh, like he wants to fire the coach because the game's passed him by. He's like a conservative coach. Wants the uh, run the ball offensive coordinator Aaron Eckhart. Early, yeah. early Eckhart. Kyle he, Shanahan. He wants <laughs> to. Much. Yeah, he wants to open the offense West Coast style. You know, spread it out. And uh, Pagniacci also wants to uh, cut the 35-year-old quarterback who's got, like, multiple concussions. Yes, do that. Yeah. And have, like, a mobile quarterback. Who was already on her roster. <laughs> yeah, and this would be, like, you know, Russell Wilson style. You know, not right. going to hurt your cap, can get players. Yeah, and, pretty uh, much wants to, like, get rid of Matt Flynn. Well, I think this guy's probably been to, like, multiple Pro Bowls in the movie. Matt but Hasselbeck. I think he had won two, uh, I forgot what they were called. Uh, you know, it's the AFFA. Pantheon Cups. Pantheon Cups. He's, he's, he won <laughs> two Pantheon Cups with uh, with Al Pacino. With the Miami Sharks. Yep. It's also ahead of its time for the dumb uh, stadium stuff that goes on. She threatens to move the team if the city doesn't pay for a new stadium to yeah. get more revenue out of boxes, which is like actively what's going on right now. It's why San Diego is going to Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, The NFL saw the movie and thought, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Let's <laughs> just start doing that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is, it is, it's still good. It aged well. I've seen it recently. Yeah, I think it, it, it aged pretty well. And a huge cast. Dennis Quaid, 
um, Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx, L. Cool J. Yeah. I guess I've talked a lot about it without saying Who Alan. plays her mom? Who's mom? Oh, it's uh, Anne Margaret. Anne Margaret. Pagniacci's. Uh, and who plays Dennis Quaid's wife? That's also somebody. Lauren Holly. Lauren Holly. Yeah, it's like browbeats him. Like, I don't care if you have a concussion, you gotta get that money. It's a pretty ruthless yeah. wife. Yeah. But, uh, Dennis Quaid's a, by far the best character. Like, the most wholesome character in that movie. Yeah. Uh, as the, the aging quarterback. And I saw originally it was supposed to be uh, uh, Steeman, Willie Beeman. Yeah. He was supposed to be Puff Daddy. Ugh. But he, he dropped out because of something like the, the timing or whatnot. Bill Bellamy? Seeing that? He played Bill like Bellamy, yeah, he's a wide receiver. L. Cool J is a running back. There's a really great scene that I think Brent would like. We're talking about the speed of the game. It's in Beeman's first game. He's the third string quarterback. And. Uh, they both get hurt in this game, and he goes in, and he sees this like wide open wide receiver running an out route, and he just like hurls the ball, and you can see this look on his face, like, all right, I'm gonna get this one under my belt, and then out of nowhere, there's just a safety who's like <laughs> runs it, intercepts it, runs it back for four yards. Um, but yeah, it seemed like good good football talk. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. Anything else we, we could football related? Keep talking. Uh, I can't, we didn't really touch on Rudy. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. Rudy's good. Rudy's. Uh, I mean, basically, it's like Rudy's good. It makes yeah. you feel stuff. You know, slow clap the chant. It's a, the it's a crowd pleaser. Turning in the jerseys. You know, Vince we, we get it. Yeah. Uh, varsity Blues. Anybody? I can't uh, believe I didn't talk about Varsity Blues. I don't blues want your life. Yes, yeah, I don't want. It's the life. worst delivered line in the history of cinema, maybe. But it also has the best delivered line in cinema history, which is just damn, damn. damn. I gave it a <laughs> damn. damn. Yeah. Uh, really, not much more to talk about that, other than <laughs> you know. Uh, That's about it. How about the movie Friday Night Lights? It's good. I thought about that. It's kind of like just. What let us get the TV show it in seems, my mind? It's a little weird to go back and watch that. I do like... I watched uh, it recently. I thought it was good. I remember uh, Booby Miles, the Derek mm-hmm. Luke who plays him is really good. He does like the what am I going to do now sobbing in the car when his knee blows out. That's what I That's what I remember when I think of the T- movie. Tim McGraw's good as the alcoholic dad yeah. Yeah. in that movie. Who always wears his championship ring. Right. And the... Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. So you know the, do you know the two people who are in both the movie and the show? The uh, wife. Buddy Garrity. Buddy Garrity and, the and, wife. and yeah. Coach, Coach's wife. Coach's wife. Uh, Played Connie, the same character. Connie Britton. I love Britton. Connie Britton. She's I'll watch so anything. Real, real funny story. I watch Nashville because I like Connie When Britton. I was watching uh, Friday Night Lights, I was like outside watching on my tablet, sitting on our porch. My girlfriend was inside watching uh, TV on the couch. And I walked in and went to the restroom and I came out and I saw Connie Britton on the TV and I was like, oh great, you want to get caught up on Friday Night Lights. Like, I would love to watch it with you. I think you'd really like it. It's not about football that much at all. And uh, all of a sudden, Connie Britton was getting, like, raped by a man in black spandex because she was watching season one of American Horror Story. Oh <laughs> I was like, what happened to Coach? No. Coach's wife, no. So I was, like, scarred for weeks after this that. Coach. What happened to my, my show? How did you get ahead of me? And why is this happening? Clear eyes, broken heart. <laughs> we lost. We all lose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of any others that... I mean, I, I remember the Titans is one of my favorites, for obvious reasons. That's good. It's a good use of, of music in a movie to make me like it more. And filmed mm-hmm. out in these parts, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's it's good. Uh I've always liked that guy and everything. I have no idea what his name is. David Will, might know. Will Patton. Will Patton. He's yeah. he's good. And he's always he's always good. And one of the movies I've been made fun of the most for loving, he's good in, which is the uh, the Postman. He is good in the Postman. The Postman. Yeah. I always kind of like the Postman. I like the Postman. Then again, I don't think I've seen it since I was fifteen. So. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen it a couple I, times. I think I might have liked it back in the day. It could have been at that age where I finally it was my threshold of like every movie I watched is great versus. There are bad movies out there. Right. It may have just been right before that. It's a really good story, I thought. It has a good ending. Yeah, it's inventive. Yeah. I liked it. And also, remember the time it says Wood Harris, who's one of my favorite actors whenever he pops yeah. up in anything. Avon Barksdale, right? Avon Barksdale, baby. Nice. <sighs> it could be a really different movie if you think, uh, you know, he plays Julius Campbell. I think Julius. Yeah. If you think that he grows up to be Avon Barksdale. <laughs> yeah. It's a real different movie. He played a cop in something I've seen recently. I can't remember what it was now. Mm. I'll be back to you in four minutes. Talk amongst yourselves, podcast nation.
Oh, I just wanted to uh, <laughs> just, I just uh, saw this note in any given Sunday. Not to obsess about that movie, but the defensive coordinator is actually Jim Brown. Jim Brown himself, uh, yeah. and his name is a gr- just a great name, Montezuma Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Montezuma is a great name. I remember seeing Brian's song in school. I guess that's somewhat football related. I've never seen Brian's song. I remember the only time I've I saw it, it. I saw it in a trailer in elementary school. The original with yeah. James Conn? Yeah, the 71 movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was middle school. I guess that's, I don't know, it's pretty good. I think it's an older generation's big go to for like the movie that makes me cry. Yeah. It's always been an acceptable answer for grown men yeah. to choose as the movie that makes Whereas them cry. Whereas we don't mind crying. And- also, Rooney. <laughs> yes. <laughs> acceptable. Uh, Wood Harris plays a cop in Ant Man. Ant Man, yeah. I forgot about that. Love that movie. So I think that's pretty much it for football. Yeah. Do you want to wrap up uh, following up from homework from last week? Yeah, sure. Um, I said we should all watch the kind of depressing 99 Homes starring Academy Award nominee Michael Shannon. And uh, we all did it, right? (laughs) Not all of us. I did. Or Brent did, TJ did. It was my suggestion and I did not even watch it myself. Ass. (laughs) Um, And you've never seen it. And I've never seen it either. (laughs) I was just like, hey guys, I'm going to depress you too. (laughs) So it's, it's really good. Uh, right off the bat, I'd probably be around four stars on it on Letterbox. I would say maybe four and a half, depending. I think for me, four would be sort of the. It's either three and a half or four for me. It's it's probably four just on the strength of the acting. Garfield and Shannon are fantastic in it. Um, it's about housing crisis. Everybody that listens has probably watched it too, so we're really just talking to you now. Yep. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was it was good. It, the I was telling these guys earlier. If there was a graph that showed how depressing the movie got as it went along, it only gets higher and higher and higher and, and, and ends at its highest point, I think. It's a movie about conscience and the things that weigh on your conscience. Uh, it's a, it's, there's a theme of going against what you believe in for personal gain and how that weighs on your conscience, uh, which, I don't know, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious throughout the film that that's the... A, a theme, but there, there's, there's a part we, uh, there's a part towards the end where we, TJ and I talked a little bit about it last night after watching it, and uh, we, th- we thought it kind of unnecessarily went off the rails just a tad towards the end. An element to the plot was introduced that you didn't really need. Yeah, it essentially makes so they had done a great job through the whole movie of making Michael Shannon's villainous. Uh, making the villain that he plays being kind of ambiguous, like is he really a bad guy? Yeah, because you think you think like okay, he's he's unlikable. So he works movie. for he works for Fannie Mae, going kicking people out of their houses. Somebody's right. got to do it. He's not like going out of his way. His job isn't forcing people to leave. Somebody has to do this, right? And you know he's certainly profiteer, profiteering off of it, but at the same time, you sort of. Forgive him. He's kind of like a slime ball. He's just a slime ball character. Not not a bad guy. And at the end, there is a A crossing of a line. In case you didn't hate him, here's something that's like massively illegal and bad. There's a crossing of a line. Right. Which wasn't necessary. It was not necessary at all. And it took away from the film, I thought. Yeah. Um, But Shannon is fantastic. He could have been nominated for that movie. Yeah, I wouldn't have blinked if he was. It was really good. He was nominated for SAG for that, but didn't end up making it. Okay. It was was good. It's a... uh, if you're if you plan on watching it and you haven't, my recommendation is watch it early in your evening and then follow it up with something soft park fun yeah. and cheery. <laughs> Bob Ross painting. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't go to bed immediately after watching Ninety Nine Homes. And I think we're gonna do another homework assignment. We'll give it around yeah, round two. I think since I abandoned my duty, I think someone <laughs> someone that actually watched the movie can <laughs> submit a homework assignment. Well, I'm taking it this week, and this was one we talked about in our first podcast, and I'm only issuing it because uh, neither one of you have seen it, and uh, it's a you'll appreciate it because you've been skipping over it for years, and you've probably also just been right. flipping by it for years. Uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil is nice. your homework assignment, which is a is a fun movie. Sweet, I'm, I'm excited. I'm yeah, forward to it. I love some. Uh, who's who's the Alan Alan Tudyk? Alan Tudyk. I love is uh, fantastic. Tudyk is great. I love Tudyk. And the and the other I don't know who plays uh, Dale, but 
Uh, that yeah. guy's pretty funny too. He was a veteran of like CW shows, like Reaper. Oh, yeah. He was in Reaper. Yes. Yeah. Nice. He's like schlubby, bearded, uh, chunky guy, right? Mm-hmm. In in pretty much most things. And well, also, also the girl from Thirty Rock who plays Sari, the office hottie in Thirty oh, Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. She she's the she's the perfect hot college girl. Nice. In the movie, like it's just. She's a perfect casting for that. Fun. Excellent. She has good... She's... From being on 30 Rock, she has good comic sensibilities. And in your opinion, uh, Tucker and Dale, less soul-crushing than 99 Homes? <laughs> Very less soul-crushing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, so, yeah, that's the homework for the week. All right. Yeah. I promise I'll do it this time. The dog will not eat my movie. Got it. Will not eat my <laughs> homework. So, I think uh, we're, we're right, uh, right at about... Right past an hour. I think that does it for this week's Talkie Talk. The Media Bias Podcast. Uh, thanks to Brent, TJ, and myself. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, <sir. laughs> And uh, thanks for tuning in. And as always, you can check out uh, themediabias.com for the website. Uh, we have the Twitter, The Media Bias. We have the Gmail, themediabias at gmail.com. As well as we have Facebook groups set up. Yeah, we have uh, Games by Us, which is video games, board games, any games. Uh, yeah. Talk about that. Movies by us and TV by us. So. That's right. A lot of ways to connect and uh, tell us what you think. Check out the stuff. All right. So, everybody, have a good one. Thanks. Thanks. And go Falcons this week. Go Falcons. Oh, yeah. Go <laughs> Falcons.